So our passage this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. It's on page 865 if you're using the Blue Bibles. It's Luke 8, verses 4 through 15 that we're going to be looking through as we continue our series through the Gospel of Luke. So Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. All right, let's read. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would give us ears to hear this parable and understand it. It's not a mystery, it's not a secret kind of knowledge that we need, it's the faithfulness to hear this as the word of God and to let it take root in our heart and change us. That's what we need, is for your word to take root in our heart and change us. We pray that you would be about that work today. pray this in your name, amen. Now, you might have heard this as I was just reading the passage, but the word here, or some version of the word of here, shows up seven times in eight verses in the passage. So verses 8 through 15, over and over and over again, you hear the word here, heard, hears, something like that. And so that's what this parable is about today. It's about uh, the right kind of hearing. It's about the ways that people hear Jesus' message. Now, at first, that may sound kind of weird to us, because how can there be more than one way of hearing? You know, we tend to think that hearing means information gets through my ear canal into my brain, and then hearing has happened. But as we all really know, when we think about it, uh, we don't use words to just transmit information. So like when your wife says to you, hey, company's coming over in 30 minutes, she's not just informing you of what time it is. She's telling you, hey, you know, we need to tidy up the house, and for the love, would you put on a shirt that doesn't have stains or holes in it? Um, you know, that may happen to some of you, you know, I've heard. Uh, never me. But um, right, so, uh, so hearing means not just information getting to the brain. It may mean there's a response that's part of it. 
And if you follow uh, Sam Kennedy or his wife Shauna on social media, you may have seen the video that we're about to watch. Um, if you don't know who they are, Sam is, uh, he used to be on staff here. He preached here a couple weeks ago. Um, he is the director of Reformed University Fellowship at UNCW. And uh, he and his son, Gus, were given tickets to watch the UNC Duke game at, well, you can just see for yourself. No, you can play the video. I was talking to some people, and I figured out where we're going to watch the game right now. Really? Where? Well, I wanted us to have, like, to really be able to see it well. Yes. So, um, what if we, what if we drove to New Orleans? What? <laughs> we got two tickets. <laughs> so you see from this video, Gus hears the information. And it doesn't just get through his brain and he continues on, you know, eating a snack or whatever. It provokes an emotional response because he's going to get to go watch, the, you know, this legendary basketball game there in person in New Orleans. And so hearing wasn't just information to the brain. Hearing provoked a response. And so that's what we mean when we talk about different kinds of hearing. We mean that the right kind of hearing might provoke an emotional response or a responsive action that's appropriate to what's being said. And so that's what Jesus is looking for and talking about in this passage. He's presenting his hearers with a question, what kind of hearer are you? And so that's what he wants us to ask. What kind of hearer am I when it comes to Jesus and his word? So this is actually the first parable recorded in Luke, um, which is why I get some extra attention. And it's worth just making sure we're on the same page as to what a parable is and does. A parable really does two things. So a parable, first, it illustrates some aspect of the kingdom of God. So a parable illustrates the kingdom of God. It uses really earthy, concrete, familiar language to convey some truth about who God is and what he wants in the world. And so, you know, many parables have become part of our vocabulary even now, like a good Samaritan or a prodigal son are both phrases that we know from Jesus's parables. And so they're illustrations of that kingdom work. And the second thing is that a parable invites meditation. So it doesn't just illustrate the kingdom, it invites meditation. It's not like an Aesop's fable, like the tortoise and the hare, where it's just this little kind of artificial package that gives you a moral lesson, and once you get the moral, you don't really need the story anymore. What it does is it invites us to enter into the parable using our imaginations, using our memory, reading and rereading and reflecting. And as we do that, the parable begins to speak to us and change us through reflection. So we don't need just a little tortoise in the hair, you know, slow and steady wins the race. We can be, you know, fundamentally transformed by meditating on, you know, you can use the feminine language of leaning into a parable or the masculine language of coming to wrestle with it. But that's what Jesus wants us to do. He invites us to come and engage with the text to be changed by it. And so parables invite, but as we know, not everyone responds to an invitation in the same way. Um, so I have a group of guys that I text periodically to come over and play board games because I'm cool like that. Um, but uh, do you think they all show up every time? Nope. Some of them receive my word, like Gus does with Sam, and you know, they leap up and they're eager to come and join me. Um, some decline. Some decline, like, most of the time, which I don't hold against them. It's fine. I won't name any names. Um, 
But uh, Jesus' parables invite people to come and engage with the parable, but he knows that not everyone is going to come. They're not going to be willing to come take him up on the invitation. So at the beginning of our passage in verse 4, we see that a huge crowd has come to Jesus. We see it's a great crowd gathering. People from town after town came to him. But then he tells the parable, and you, you, know, you look at the end of verse 8, it says he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then mic drop, and he walks off the stage. So rather than explaining everything and say, hey, we're going to build this brand now. I love that we have this huge crowd of people. He issues almost like a challenge and then kind of walks off. And he doesn't go hide. It's not like he goes and runs away to just give it to his disciples. But what he does is um, he invites people to come follow him with this. Because you look further in verse 9, it says, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus' parables invite, but this invitation has an edge to it. They challenge their hearers. They don't challenge their knowledge. It's not a riddle that you have to be smart enough to figure out. And the rest of the gospel makes it very clear that Jesus' 12 disciples are not, you know, the brightest bulbs in the box uh, in that, that manner of speaking. But they challenge listeners to come closer to him, to come ask, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What does this have to say to me? What, do I really am, what am I supposed to get from this? That's what he wants from these parables. And some people respond to that invitation by coming closer and becoming part of his disciples. And some people just get puzzled or confused and walk away because they expected miracles or something amazing, and he just gave them this story. And so that's what this parable does. That's what the parables do. They illustrate and they invite And in this case, um, they illustrate and invite uh, around the idea of what it means to be the right kind of hearer. The right kind of hearer of what? So Jesus says in verse 11, this parable is about the word of God. Now, once again, the word of God isn't just about information. Um, It includes information, but it's not limited to that. So hear how Jesus summarizes the word of God at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. This is Mark 1.15. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. That is information. He says, there's a time that's here and there's a kingdom that's also here right now. It's present here to you, the hearers. But that's not all. He goes on to say, repent and believe the gospel. He says, if you really hear this, you get this information, the right response is that you turn away from whatever you are facing and come look at him. That's what repent means. And it means entrust yourself to this word. Take it into your heart as a treasure and begin living it out. That's what it means to believe in the gospel, to accept it as true and a treasure. And so Jesus wants us to believe the good news that he's the king. He wants us to take action as a right response to hearing. And in this parable, that change leads to bearing fruit. Uh, If we jump ahead a little bit and look at the fourth soil, bearing fruit means, uh, you know, the good soil lets the word of God bear fruit, to become what it's really supposed to be and do what it's supposed to do, not just stay a seed. And that means uh, change in our character. So the word of God makes us a different kind of person as it grows in us. You know, maybe you had to memorize at some point, if you grew up in the church, the fruit of the Spirit. 
You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are the fruit of the Spirit growing the Word of God in us. They make us into different kinds of people. Fruit also refers to acts of worship and service. We grow in our capacity to love God and to love others. Um, you know, we heard Hannah Parham share about how the word bore fruit in her life by transforming her from a person who says, I don't know how I could possibly help someone to giving her life to this ministry that serves others. So that's an example of the word of God bearing fruit in someone's heart so that people come to worship God through the testimony of our lives. So a fruitful life is a life of good character from the inside out. It's of words and actions that honor God and serve our neighbor. And it's a life that testifies to the goodness of God so that other people come to faith in him through the witness that we bear. Those are all things that come from the word of God finding good soil in our hearts. They're part of us inheriting eternal life in the new creation with God. So that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us all, he invites us all to be fruitful soil in this way. And so he uses this parable to illustrate what it means to hear the word rightly, so to be the right kind of hearer. And he also uses it to invite us and even challenge us to ask ourselves, am I the kind of hearer he's looking for? And what might I need to become that kind of hearer? So we're going to look at the four kinds. Um, Jesus does the work of explaining each kind to us, which is very kind of him. Uh, But as we're going to see, what does this look like in our world today? And ultimately, what distinguishes fruitful from unfruitful soil? So the first kind of hearer that we see is the apathetic hearer. That's the first kind of soil, is the apathetic hearer. This is in verse 5 and then in verse 12. So verse 5, as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Then in verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. If you've ever seen a footpath, like in Carolina Beach State Park, maybe. It's where so many feet have walked that the plants have been killed and the ground has been transformed and compressed to be kind of like hard as rock. Before anything grows there that falls on, it's going to get swept away by wind or rain or, you know, in the case of this parable, picked off by birds. An apathetic hearer's heart is like that worn-down footpath. It's just so hard that they're not interested in the word at all. You try to have a spiritual conversation, and they just change the subject or shut down. They're like, don't give me the Jesus stuff. I'm not interested. Um, I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago, and I sat beside a guy who's in his late 20s. Um, You know, we chatted a little bit, and uh, I have the natural evangelistic advantage of answering the question, what do you do, by saying, well, I'm a pastor to church. And so that kind of forces me then to ask, you know, like, well, do you have any church involvement? You know, what does that look like for you? Um, So I get to do that pretty easily. I'm sort of obligated to. Um, But so this guy was nice. But he told me that he grew up in a church. Then when he was a teenager, his mom asked him if he wanted to keep going. And he said, no, I'm not interested. And that was it. That was the end of his church involvement. They quit when he was a teenager. And, um, you know, he's in his late 20s now, married with a kid. And he's still not interested. You know, he was polite about it. He wasn't rude. He's just not interested. Not something he cares about. Not something he wants to know. So hard-hearted doesn't mean that they're mean. They might be. Uh, It just means that the word isn't going anywhere. They don't care about it. If you have an apathetic hearer in your life, or if you are an apathetic hearer and you just got dragged here by someone you love, um, 
you know, maybe they pulled a bait and switch on you by promising brunch first. Um, you know, there's two ways that God usually changes a hard heart. So God might soften a hard heart through uh, showing the goodness or beauty of the gospel until it finally becomes compelling to them. So this is something that the Apostle Peter counsels women who are married to unbelieving men to do, to just be a living testimony of the goodness of the gospel in the hopes that God is going to soften their heart one day. Or God might break the heart through outer or inner suffering. That's what he did to save the Apostle Paul. God had to break him down so he could save him, so he could make the word grow in his heart. But that's the apathetic hearer. The second type of hearer uh, I call the feel-good hearer. The feel-good hearer. We see this in verse 6 and then in verse 13. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. The feel-good hearer hears the gospel, and at first they receive it with joy. So there's a God who created me and who loves me? Yes. This God is willing to forgive my sins? Okay. You know, this God offers me help and resources that might kind of fix my marriage or help me get my finances on track or restore that relationship. I want all those things. Sign me up. And so it can seem like the gospel is good news and that they acknowledge it as good news because they love the benefits that come from the gospel. Above the surface, while things are moving up and to the right, it can seem like a joyful spiritual life is beginning. But then things get tough. Maybe they get in an environment where Christianity isn't a social benefit anymore. It's a, you know, it's a social uh, cost, a liability. Or maybe that financial situation doesn't get easier, it gets harder. Or the marriage doesn't get easier, the marriage gets harder. Or the sin struggle doesn't go away. Maybe we're not being asked to give up, you know, my guilt and shame, which I'm more than happy to do. Who wants to hold on to those things? But I'm being given, asked to give up, you know, this coping mechanism, this habit that really makes me feel better, or this relationship that really makes me feel good. And the gospel stops feeling fun. It starts feeling life-taking instead of life-giving. When surface conditions turn from easy to hard, what might get exposed is that there wasn't really any root growth in the soil. There wasn't enough substantial change to maintain life in tough times. And what seems to be a joyful spiritual life withers and dies. There are parts of the world where, uh, you know, being persecuted for being a faithful Christian is a very real possibility. You know, we support ministry partners in India and in the Middle East, and this is a real part of Christian discipleship for them, that their converts have to face the possibility of being totally kicked out of their village or even imprisoned or put to death for their faith. You know, that's not our environment at all, thank God. But you can still imagine, you know, maybe like a high schooler who gets involved in the youth group because her friends are involved. And what she hears about Christianity appeals to her, so she accepts it. You know, she makes friends, she enjoys hearing that God loves her and forgives her. Then she goes off to college and she gets into a social environment that scorns the gospel instead of loving it. It, People may just think it's lame, you know, it keeps you from having fun on the weekends. Or maybe they think it's bigoted and Christians are these like oppressive Neanderthals. And anyone who's honest, they know it hurts when someone insults something that feels important to you. You know, like the adage about words not really hurting me is just totally false. We all know that. But instead of taking that hurt and bringing it to God or letting it drive her deeper into a community, 
this girl just sort of starts separating herself from Christianity. She starts laughing at the jokes. You know, maybe she says that she's in a deconstructing phase. And that word is not completely all bad. That's, we could, that's another sermon. But, um, you know, she, she lets that kind of move herself away from Jesus and the gospel uh, so she doesn't have to be the butt of all those jokes. And then she comes into a completely different place. The life that was growing withers away because the external conditions got hard. That's feel-good Christianity coming to an end. The benefits stop feeling as good as the costs, and you let it go. The spiritual life dies. What this soil lacks is the willingness to be changed by the word. So Jesus says in verse 6 that this soil had no moisture. It wasn't actually letting the word grow deeply in itself to really put down roots, which is what this soil needs. It needs for the word of God to put down roots and grow deep. So to learn deeply through study, to live deeply through meditations, uh, you know, through spiritual disciplines like meditating on the word and confessing to a community, and to serve, which is taking on a little suffering for the sake of others, because that actually makes the gospel grow in us. So those are actually all things our youth ministry does. If you don't know, we have an awesome youth ministry that is not just, hey, let's have fun. They study, they confess, they serve, they do incredible things. So our workers do great work with that. But the question here is, do I suffer, even in just little ways, for my faith? Does it make me make room in my calendar so that it affects my mornings? Does it change my habits in any way? Does it influence my relationships in any way? Are there any ways that I am changed by the word being near my life? Am I willing to share my faith if I don't know when the other person is going to receive it well? Those small acts of suffering can help deepen our soil and make more room for God so that we're not just a feel-good hearer. So that's the second type of soil. The third type, the third type of hearer is the distracted hearer. The distracted hearer. We see this in verses 7 and 14. Jesus says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is in a way the opposite of the feel-good hearer. This soil is good for growing things. So conditions are great, and the word grows at first. But there are so many other good things growing in there that they overtake and choke out the word before it matures. So Jesus says these are the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. They are other goods that don't get cleared out. So this soil can, in fact, support life. It's good conditions, but it's so filled up with things that the word can't grow in its place. So this is someone, once again, who seems to have a spiritual life growing. They seem to be making progress, believing, maybe even serving. The Apostle Paul knew one of these men. Uh, He mentions a man named Demas in his letters to Philemon and to the Colossians. He's one of Paul's fellow workers, so he's kind of in and out among the apostles doing the work of ministry. But near the end of Paul's life, he writes 2 Timothy, and he writes this line, He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas fell in love with the present world. 
There was something growing in his heart. He was doing ministry even, but he wasn't clearing the weeds out of his heart. And something finally grew so big, it choked out the word of God from his life. A distracted here isn't someone with a short attention span, thank God. Um, it's someone who's trying to have Jesus in their life and also trying to have this thing over here and this thing over here and this thing over here. They think they can have it all. You know, I want the word of God, but I also really want to be rich. Oh, sorry, no, I want financial security. That's what I mean. I want financial security and the word of God. Um, you know, I, I really want a successful, a successful career along with my relationship with Christ. Jesus warns us in the Sermon on the Mount that no one can serve two masters. He says, eventually we're going to love one and we're going to hate the other. We're going to hate everything else. It's like the kids game musical chairs where there's always one seat fewer than there are people until finally there's two people competing for that one chair. Our hearts have one chair. They have one throne. And there's only one thing that can be there. I have an old friend who was involved in college ministry with me. Um, he was a student leader with me even. He came to faith in college, or it seemed like it. Um, he came from a really financially successful family, and he went on to a really financially successful you know, set of jobs. And as far as I know, he's still in one. But as time has gone on, he's just sort of drifted away from his faith. I don't know exactly what happened, but he quit going to church. You know, like his uh, life and his marriage just showed a, a different set of values. He quit talking or thinking about these things. And so by worldly metrics, he's doing great. He is killing it, but there's no spiritual life in his soul. He's in love with the present world, and he's no longer, as far as I can tell, in love with the word of God. This is maybe the most pressing problem for Christians in America today. Most of us, again, aren't actually suffering for our faith. Maybe we get a little friction here and there, but really, this is a fine, a great place to be a Christian. But instead, we have so many good things in our lives that the gospel doesn't really seem necessary. We have careers, we have relationships, we have hobbies, we have politics, these things that seem more fun or more urgent than cultivating the word in our lives. We have a have-it-all mentality. I want the job, I want the family, I want everything, and Christianity too, sure. Jesus says it doesn't actually work like that. It doesn't even work like that outside of Christianity. You know, you can't actually be totally devoted to your career and to a family. You don't get both of those things. Much less you get any kind of worldly thing, you know, in full devotion and also Christ himself. Eventually, one of those things has to win and one has to lose. And so the question worth asking ourselves as we meditate on this soil is, what do I have in my life that I might have sacrificed my Christian life for? What's filled my time so much that I've neglected time in the word and prayer? What's made me willing to compromise what I know God says is right so I can get it or keep it? What is it that if I have to choose between that and belonging to my Christian community, I choose that thing instead? Jesus says you can seem to juggle these both for a while, but eventually, again, there's one seat. One thing's going to win, and one thing's going to lose. And if you aren't actively clearing the weeds by repenting of those things that compete with your allegiance to the word, there's no guarantee that you'll be a fruitful plant in the long run. So what then is the right kind of hearer? What makes someone good soil? Let's look at the faithful hearer, the fourth kind of hearer, from verses 8 and 15. 
Jesus says, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Then as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So what does faithful hearing look like? It holds the word fast in an honest and good heart. Honest and good here don't mean sinless, but they mean someone receives the word as a treasure, as a treasure worth selling everything else for. It means they keep it in good conditions and in hard conditions, so it stays within them and grows deeply. And they're willing to trade away other things to say no to other things. Uh, When Sam preached a couple weeks ago, he said something like, uh, you know, sinning against the false gods in your life. Um, We're willing to sin against those other idols, so to speak, so that God can grow and his kingdom can grow in our hearts. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, who was an African theologian, said that a truly Christian heart has rightly ordered loves. So it doesn't mean that I hate my wife or my kids. I love my wife and my kids. Um, It doesn't mean that I hate my job, though you might hate your job. Um, But what it means is that I have my heart's priorities right, that the kingdom of God comes first and other things kind of fall in their order underneath or behind that, that I want my wife to be happy, but that doesn't mean I'm willing to do anything and everything to make her happy if it means breaking the word of God, that I want my career to go well, but it means that I'm committed to God first. And if that means I have to say no to a career opportunity, I'm willing to do that. That's what it means to have an honest and good heart that holds the word rightly. Last week, uh, this is where we'll we'll close, Paul preached on Luke 8, 1 to 3, uh, on some of the women who were among Jesus' early disciples. So Luke doesn't explicitly say, these women's lives look like good soil, But the way that he describes them, you know, right before this passage happened, uh, and the way he talks about them in other places, very clearly suggests that they were the kind of hearers that Jesus was looking for. They heard the word of God, the gospel, as good news. And in their different ways, they reordered their lives around the priorities of that kingdom. Paul said that they faithfully followed Jesus. They were with him when the huge crowds were with him. And they were also with him when he was being crucified and he'd been abandoned even by his own, you know, like 12 handpicked disciples. They also faithfully funded his ministry. So they gave, they sacrificed of their time and their money to support his kingdom instead of their own. There were things they said no to so they could say yes to following him. And Luke wants us to see they get it. That's what it means to hold the word with an honest and good heart. It means staying close to Jesus, whatever it takes. So that's ultimately what Jesus wants. And that's what makes us into good soil. He wants us to hold close to him, whether we feel excited by his word or when we feel challenged or even offended by it. He wants us to bring him everything that we have, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff we aren't sure if it's, you know, which of those things it is. He wants all of it to be given to him. And when we do that, as we live in that relationship, he makes us into the kind of soil that he wants us to be. That's why we said this parable is an invitation. Because there are people who seem like hard or shallow or weedy soil right now, but who are going to ultimately be fruitful. 
And it can be like a challenge because there are people who seem to be growing right now who might prove later to be otherwise. The invitation is, do I stay with Jesus because he will faithfully change me into the person that I need to be to hear his word? He can transform any kind of soil, no matter how bad it seems, into good. He makes us into people who bear the fruit of changed character, of worship, service, and love. And so he invites us ultimately, bring ourselves to him. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives. I pray that you could help us see if there are ways that we need to be softened or even broken to receive your word. Ways that we need to grow deeper ways that we need to have things cleared out of our lives so that your word can grow and bear fruit. We pray that you would make us into fruitful soil for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.